welcome to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Alison and Inika. Join us for information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and more. Brought to you by Auckland Council Libraries. Nga pa taka korero o tamaki makoro. No mai, hara mai, kia ora, and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and I'm joined on this call by the multi-award-winning New Zealand author, Leonie Agnew, who's just published her novel, The Impossible Story of Hannah Kemp. Kia ora, Leonie. Kia ora. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Yeah, look, I've I've read it and I absolutely loved it, really adored it. So now, for those listeners who haven't read the book yet, The Impossible Story of Hannah Kemp is um, about a young woman, Hannah, who is dealing with the aftermath of a tragic accident uh, for which she's been held responsible. She's shunned by her community for her role in the accident. And in the midst of her guilt and shame, she discovers a mysterious library that may just hold the key to her recovery and redemption. So this is a coming of age story and a journey of healing through the power of storytelling. So as a librarian, this is music to my ears. Um, Now, it's a young adult novel, but I would classify it as a YA adult crossover. Um, It uh, really has broad appeal, but it's an extremely satisfying read. So now for some questions, Leonie. So firstly, now the unpublished manuscript for the book won the Storylines Tessa Award in 2022. So I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that and what that award meant for you in terms of getting the book published. Um. Oh, it was obviously very exciting. I um, I normally write junior fiction, so this is my first YA novel. Um, and the other thing too is that this is a contract with Walker Books Australia as well. So that means my books get into a different readership over to Australia as well. So um, that was also really exciting just to, you know, stretch across the Tasman. Um, yeah, and, and also I think because Tessa Duda, I read the Alex books when I was about 14 maybe, um, mm. And so always anything associated with Tessa Duda will um, may make me feel like I need to pinch myself a little bit, um, even though, you know, I've, I've missed her as an adult, obviously, now. <laughs> and yeah. You know, if you've read someone's books when, when you were young at the right age as well, then it has a great significance for you. So it was it was an honour to, to win a prize named after her. Yeah, yeah, I understand completely what you're saying about that. And her, her Alex books were just magnificent and I, I think they've really influenced a generation or several generations of, of young women yeah or young people I should say now in the book um, Hannah is quite a complex character uh, she's grieving and she's angry I found that I felt really sorry for her that to my reading of it there were a lot of factors at play in that particular event so I was wondering did you want the reader to, to feel complete sympathy for Hannah about what happened and its aftermath? I think I think so to a certain extent because you have to like, hopefully, your, your, mm-hmm. um, if you're reading it because if you don't like the main character, it's quite hard to engage with the story. Um, but, I mean, you know, everyone will come to this novel 
with different life experiences. And I think, you know, some people who are perhaps perhaps less how can I put this? Less experience with life. <laughs> uh, some teenagers might think she's just kind of mean at times, but but it really it doesn't take a lot to realise that with suffering comes complexities, um, and that that's just part of growing up. But for her, of course, it's far more intense because she has suffered several real traumas. In fact, yes. Um, and and I would hope she would be likable because that's the whole point: is everyone's redeemable, you know. It, and a lot of it, you know, because she hates herself, she projects, you know, she's not happy in herself. Mm-hmm. And so she's projecting that onto other people and not always being as pleasant as she could be. The advantage of writing first person present tense, of course, is you get the inner side as well, of course. So I'm hoping that there's enough in there that people can see that um, she is really a, a nice person she, and a very, very clever person. I, I wanted to write someone who was into books, often clever mm-hmm. and um novels and film are usually mathematicians and scientists this is a girl who is capable of everything but her her love is literature and that's why I've got that scene where she says to the teacher she wants to study an English degree and they think she's crazy um, and I yeah. think that's still the response that a high school student would get from their teachers if they were capable of doing you know anything they would be questioned as to why you would want to do that I so related to that because even going back decades um I sort of went had the same thing at school well you know surely you want to do something like the sciences or engineering or you know that sort of thing and so it's it's like it it just hasn't stopped has it no I mean I did my degree in English literature and you know the joke at the time was that BA stood for bugger all oh yeah yeah <laughs> that's it's the only kind of job you'll get so you know it's yeah you'll get a job doing checkout operating or something because it doesn't qualify you for anything. Mm. Um, and one of the great pleasures I got actually in writing this book was to be able to pull on novels that I'd studied during my BA mm. and, and the kind of irony of being told that it was pointless. Well, actually, 20 years later, whatever, I'd, I'd pull them out and reuse them in a book. Yeah. You know? um, so they weren't useless after all, but you have to sometimes wait a long time for an arts degree to, to show show its worth to other people, even though you know it's got worth to yourself. Before it sort of bears fruit that other people can see. I'd like to come back um, later on to to those novels that you, you refer to in the book, because I found that really fascinating. But I was really quite fascinated um, about Hannah and her, her character, and even the other the other kids that um, the other students and her peers, because I, I felt that you really captured that teen sort of boredom and ennui, you know, really effectively. And I wondered what experience you you drew on to really nail this. I, I suppose apart from your own teenage years, um, we've all been teenagers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I won't give you a good answer to this. I'm sorry because it's the kind of thing that I find hard to answer. You just mm. had an idea, and the idea was about a library, a magical library, and and I knew that someone had to learn from the experience of reading. So that was where the idea came from, mm. from not where it came from. It actually came from being on a, on a bus. Uh, they're called the life education buses that go around the schools. Oh, yes. As, yeah, I was in there, and I thought, this reminds me of a mobile library. and right. uh, And I had an idea straight away for a, a book. But at the time, I, I've only ever written junior fiction, and I realised, which is for 12 and under, obviously, 
I realised that in order for the experience to be meaningful, for her to really learn something extremely valuable from the books, I, I wanted her to be a little bit older because it had to be trauma. And I don't really deal mm. with trauma in junior fiction. Mm. Um, you know, it's a different kind of age group and you you just deal with it differently. So um, now I've forgotten the question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on a tangent. Um, yes. I, I just, what I'm trying to say is I took the idea and then I figured out what age group I had to write it for to make it work. And then I just wrote it. And and I don't, I can't honestly say to you that I tuned into any experiences of my own. I was never an angry teenager. So mm. it, it's not me. <laughs> um, but I, I just, it's certain things I don't overthink. It's just that's the way she thinks and that's the way she acts. And she was definitely a little bit feisty, which is more fun to write than some of the things just happened to. Yes, um, actually, that's true. So she just took it in her stride and she just kept right from the first page. She just, she pushed back on everything. Yes. And everything. Yeah. Which I, you know, admired her. For, you know, she was feisty and um, I, she was going to develop into a, a really strong, strong woman too. Yes. You could sort of see, see that. Um, now, Hannah in the book says that her dad treats novels like Mount Everest, um, that there's something to be conquered in, instead of enjoyed. I was wondering if you see this attitude in real life amongst your students or young people that you might know. Oh, do you mean that they think that? Yes, that that if you observe no, young... I mean, I suppose I don't teach high school. I teach primary. Oh, okay. But it wasn't an observation about her age group, of course. It was an observation about her father yeah. who taught English literature. And that's just a reflection sometimes on the worth of a novel <laughs> uh, and what makes it worthy. And I suppose looking back at times when I was, again, doing the BA, I do recall studying novels and I was like, why are we reading this? <laughs> mm. I just had to get through, especially if it was 18th, 19th century writing. Yeah. Often it was valuable by the time you got to the end and you understood why. Um, but, yes, I think even though her father loves books, I think his love of books at times will probably be slightly different to hers. He yeah. likes things because they are classical and where they stand in terms of literature and history and she's still at an age where she's she's very smart so she can take that out. But she's also down the back of the the bookstore reading Twilight, you know. That's that true. Really, her family doesn't value. And so she's she's a true lover of books. She's not discriminating, if you will. Oh, no, it's the the way to, to be with books, if you can. Now, um, the great uh, writer, Judy Bloom, talks about the life-saving power of librarians and, and teachers giving the right book at the right time to a young person in need. And I wondered if this ever happened to you as a kid, where you were given a book by or recommended a book by a grown-up, and then that book went on to make an impression on you. I really wish again that I could say yes. Look um, <laughs> on my my primary school library, and I'm not even sure we had a librarian. That doesn't mean that we didn't. I remember there being adults mm. here at, at lunch times, and I remember thinking that they were volunteer parents who were in the room, but I have no memory of any of them coming up to me and handing me a book and saying, you might like this. That mm. doesn't happen. I just don't recall. No one needed to help me find books. I was right there, you know, like searching the shelves myself. I, I'd find it if it was there. So in 
perhaps yeah, yeah, you didn't you didn't need it at that at the time. It's, it's hard to know. What a shame because as a teacher, I try really hard to put books in the hands of my students. The quiz groups at my school as well, so I'm forever pushing books into kids' hands. Mm. So one, um, but again, perhaps I've forgotten. You know that the way we remember things from our childhood it may not always be accurate. Um, so it's possible that somebody did. I mean, you know, looking back, the books that were good, they came to me through my mum. She was a big reader. So she mm. would, like, from secondhand bookstores or garlands. Mm. And she took us to the library every week. So my mum was my librarian, if you like. She was the yeah. one that the library every week. And I'm quite sure she would have helped us looking back. If we couldn't find a book, she would have been yeah. the through the shelves looking, yeah. Yeah, my mum was our librarian as well, used to take us to the Onihonga Library every yeah. week. It yeah. was amazing. Now, um, getting back to Hannah and her, her family, she does have a slightly complicated family unit. And I w- wondered what made you place her in an adoptive um, mixed-race family. And I, I was kind of wondering whether you are wanting to show that um, – modern whānau families in New Zealand are, are very diverse. Or and I but then I thought she kind of needed to have a come from a complex family in order th- for the story to work too. So yeah, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, there's there's two parts to it. One is the adoption, one is as you said, to have um different ethnic backgrounds in the same family. Um so the adoption is a function of, or what the character needs to develop, really. So mm. she she had to be adopted because obviously there has to be, as you begin to read, you realise that she's she's got memories that are repressed and lost mm. before the age of four because she was adopted at, at the age of four due to neglect, and this becomes part of the reveal through the books about what really happened and all these sorts of things, and a very hopefully interesting way of dealing with that. Um, mm. But the decision to make the dad Filipino, that's um just the reality. I live in Auckland and we're just so ethnically diverse here. It's just not wanting all my characters to always be this kind of regular Pākehā family that I grew up with because actually it's mm. so out there. And I my first school I taught 40% Filipino kids. It was a Catholic school and I just thought, well, I haven't seen – I haven't picked up a book with Filipino characters in it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought well, that will be, you know, and my husband's got a good friend um, who's Filipino. So he helped me with it and read the drafts and talked about the language and made sure it was appropriate. Um, and, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that again, actually, in regards to just the kids I taught. I just think – but actually the truth is there's so many cultures that don't see themselves enough in books. Yes. Um, I mean, that's an ongoing issue with diversity in books, isn't it? Yeah, so that, but also not to make it like a big deal. It's just her dad. It's not this big issue that she comes from, you know, that a family where one parent's Filipino and one's um, Pākehā. It's this is just her family, and that's how families are. You don't sort of think too much. I don't think anyway in this case about it because she's adopted as well. Um, I think there'd be a whole other life story from the point of view of the father about what it might be like to have come to New Zealand. And teach English yes. in the high school, you know. Like I, I often wondered that when I was writing, you know, what he was making of it. And also, they're they're often very traditional Catholic people, um, mm. and 
friends, my husband's friend, you know, his name's Omar. As Omar was saying to us, you know, like certain things that they would, their children would still be going to church. And and I could imagine this father, that, that discussion is not in the novel, but it's been there and it's hinted at all the way through. There's just Catholic references, you know, the yes. offer on the wall that he will not take down, even if it clashes with the paint, you know, scheme. Mm. Um, there's just him being who he is in the corner. And I think he's given up a lot of himself to make this family work as well. And I like how you didn't make a big deal about it. It's just as, as what it is. This is you know, family. To be often honest, it was just because I'm a teacher and I have so many different um, cultures in my classroom. It just seems normal, to be honest. Mm. Now, I wonder if you agree that um, every reader can find their, sto- their own story in a, a library or a bookstore or, or some sort of storehouse of information, knowledge, say, on a marae or a community setting? Um, I think we can find parts of ourselves in books. Um, I don't think you ever completely find your one version of yourself, the, the version that you believe is completely you. But, um, but the interesting thing is, when I say that, I'm aware that on some level we do connect with books, depending on which book we're reading, and we, we do see ourselves into the narrator. It happens mm. a lot. Um, maybe the truth is personalities are not one-dimensional and therefore there are so many aspects of yourself to explore that it's quite <laughs> common to pick up books and see something that you can relate to through your own experience. Um, yeah, especially, though, of course, books, when they go first-person, they immediately directly put you as the main character because it says I. So that's what you're hearing and you're yes. hearing my I. So that yeah. might too for some of them. Anyway. No, that's a, that's a really good point. And because the librarian does say that um, she says, I just make sure the right book finds the right person too. Yeah. So there's there's that message that coming through, which I thought was really cool as well. So stuff that we can relate to. Now, Hannah's friend or kind of a romantic interest, Dylan, works in a in a bookstore. And I really felt what I liked about Dylan was I, I felt that he role modelled reading and he really shows that reading is, is extremely cool. But, you know, he, he reminded me of the love interest in Twilight too. He reminded he? me of, <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if... Is that weird that I thought he was like, he just, I could picture Edward. I wasn't sure if that was planned or whether I was just. <laughs> no, no. Um, what made him, wh- why did you think he reminded you of Edward? Just, oh, now that's a, that's a good question. It was a, a gut feeling. Um, perhaps there was, I suppose because their relationship wasn't straightforward and there was an element of, not danger, but an element but of. There was sixteen. It was like a hundred. <laughs> yes, that's because the... he's like four years older than her, or three, three or four years older. Yes, and that age, um, in the book, it, sometimes really at that age, I'd say it's quite a big age gap. Yes. He's actually finished high school and she's fifteen, and that's yes. why it's a big part of the reason why nothing happens. Um, yes, I was glad. Some part of the book here, yeah. but um, yeah, but it, it's left. You know, so many relationships are not boy meets girl, they fall in love, live happily ever after. You know, there, yes. there's ways to have close relationships with people, um, including, you know, girls and guys. Um, and I, th- I think they mean a great deal to each other and, and there's possibilities there. 
But he's yes. he's got his head screwed on because he's had a lot to deal with himself, and so he's not yes. going through there. It's as simple as that. But maybe yeah. he's older, and that's that's clearly hinted at that that friendship could one day, you know, one day turn into something because he's, yeah. he's they're actually quite compatible. Um, I felt they were too, but he was. Deep. I liked how he was ethical, like he knew that. No, I'm. We have got this age gap, so I'm not. I'm not going. Yeah, they don't really about it much. It's just kind of alluded to a few times. And you yes. That's the kind of person he is, enough to deal with. Um, but, you know, they would be good for each other, and that's the truth, as they get older, because she is impetuous and he is steady. Um, mm. Both, you know, both been through a lot, so they'd have that in common. Um, yeah, let's be honest, I think that in their 20s at some point, it's a real yes. possibility. You know, I'd like them both to have a lot more life experience because you're not likely to end up with your first boyfriend or girlfriend. No. Um, and, That's and right. Insiders in their own space as well. He, he hasn't done the things she's done, but all his friends have left and he stayed for yeah. reasons in the book. So he doesn't really have the social group that he needs either. So they both they have that in common too. And, yeah, so maybe it's something for a sequel. Down the track. Yes. Library and she'd be the matchmaker. Yes. <laughs> I really loved how you you refer to so many of of the great classic reads, um, like Frankenstein, Great Expectations, Jane Eyre. There's so many more. Oh, and, and Twilight, of course. Yeah, oh that's right, the book thief. Interesting how Hannah's story sort of mirrors some of, of those great classics too. You know, you've got the the adoption you've got the fire she thinks she might be turning into a monster at one stage so I don't know if this is a a mean question to ask because there may not be an answer to it but would you say this is a book of metafiction so how would you define metafiction first (laughs) yeah I've been thinking about this a lot and I I was sort of thinking maybe it depends how you define it and yeah, in some ways it's yeah. fiction fiction about fiction but whether the story examines um elements of the the classic stories maybe so the it kind the, of is i guess it kind of is yeah it's, it's it, it doesn't fit probably neatly inside the genre so to speak but if you can call it a genre it it's um i think i think it's just telling the truth which is especially in those classic novels the 18th, 19th century, a lot of it is exploring what it means to be human. And, you know, like that's Frankenstein is, you know, who is the monster? Is it the guy who invented him or is it the monster? Yeah. That's, and that just, it, I studied it and I enjoyed studying Frankenstein. It just fit, it just fit neatly into into what this girl was going through is because it's a question of are you responsible for your actions or can you blame it on your parents? Einstein, that's what the monster is. He's like, well, I am what I was made to be. I am how you treated me, and I've, this is what I've become. Or do you have autonomy? Are you the ability to break away and say, this is the, these are the choices I've made. These are my choices, um, and I need to own them and, and kind of move forward like that. And there's obviously a few other elements to Frankenstein in there as well. Mm. Um, I'm a bit weary of giving away things, but oh yes. Strange things happen with the library. I think um, the character of the birth mother is a different kind of monster, not a traditional kind, but 
you know, she's kind of being haunted by her past. Yeah. So, um, and then literally haunted by her past. And when I say the mother's a type of monster, I also have sympathy for the mother because there's a story there too. And mm. mother did love her daughter as well, but wasn't able to get past herself. You yeah. know, that's that's what it came down to. But, yeah, that's, so there was, anyway, there was that story. And then, of course, I also studied Jane Eyre and um, I also studied Great Expectations, which I enjoyed. And, um, again, both of them dealing with orphans. And, mm. and, you know, like I've always been fascinated, like so many people, by uh, Mrs. Havisham and yes. her dress and the idea of holding on to a trauma or grief and not get, allowing yourself to get past it and then using that to bring yourself down and other people. Also, what she does in the book, Great Expectations, what she does to the girl she adopts. So you've got questions about adoption. Um, mm. And, of course, um, that also is, relates to Pip from that book as well, about adoption and, and what what that means. I did actually mm. research on adoption as well for this book. Um I did it as part of a master's. I, well, I didn't start it as a master's, but I finished it during a master's in creative writing. And as such, you need to do a few bit of research. You can't just write a book and put it out there. You have to mm-hmm. choose and things. And, and that was quite interesting, too, to take all that into account. So once again, it's a circular comment because I'm coming back to the fact that these issues about adoption and, and where we come from and our families were being discussed 200 years ago in novels. Mm-hmm. Which just kind of shows how awesome those those novels were, even yeah. 200, 100 years ago. Yeah. Do you think that um, Hannah compared her life maybe to that of Mary Shelley, the, the author of Frankenstein? Yeah. yeah, she does briefly, quite openly. She was, she right. was very shallow. But that's because she's got different heroes, you know, because she really does, you know, I don't know what she's going to do exactly as an adult, but it'll be something down the literature route. Um, she'll get she'll get a doctorate for sure in English literature and, <laughs> oh, yeah. and so you know it's funny because when you look at the different authors not all of them are that exciting and then you come to Mary Shelley and she she did mm-hmm. live an interesting life yeah so bit of a rock star lifestyle for a while there and she was so young too when she um when uh, Frankenstein was published yeah um, it was fascinating because it if I've got it correct, it, that she was about 19, was she? No. Yes, from 19 or 20. Yes, uh, and was it 20 when she when it came like, out? The thing, too, is that story, of course, is that they were in, I think it was Geneva, and she was with her husband, who's the great poet, Percy Shelley, and mm. on the two of that century and still being studied today. And I've often been fascinated by the fact that here was this woman who, under – under many circumstances, would have been dwarfed by the men around her and historically dwarfed. She would have been forgotten. Mm. Now, often the wives are a footnote, you know, Yes. In, when you're studying history or literature. But in this case, she just clearly was a writer on her, of her own and, and went and wrote something at a young age that put her on equal footing. And, and to be honest, more people obviously know Frankenstein than they could re- recite a poem from Percy <laughs> Shelley today. So actually the greater impact. Um, and I think that, that in itself says a lot about her. She must have been a very clever and interesting woman, I think. 
Absolutely. Now, I was you may have already sort of answered this question because I was going to say, ask you if you have a, a favourite classic book that you return to at p- particular times. I'm just wondering if you might have already alluded to it, whether it would be Frankenstein or... <laughs> Frankenstein, actually. Probably Frankenstein. I The truth is, though, I... I read a lot and I don't return to many books very often. Mm. I have a copy of Frankenstein, nice hardcover copy that I keep and and have a look at from time to time. Um, I'm just thinking Jane Austen. I mean, every book you tend to, in my 20s especially, I used to reread and reread all the Jane Austen books. I haven't picked them up for a while. It's funny the books you pick up. Anna Green Gables is a book. If I'm sick, they're really sick. And that I, but I can read, if I'm well enough to read, I might pick up Anne of Green Gables and read just a chapter. And there's something about it, it's like chicken soup, which is ridiculous. I'm obviously returning to some state when I was 11 years old. So there you go. Probably our last question, because we're running out of time. Um, last question for today. What advice would you give to a young person who wants to, to be a writer? <laughs> well, it's, it's just obviously um, keep writing, uh, read well. Mm. Just it, it's the sort of thing that if you have a talent for it it won't go away it will get rusty if you don't use it but it will still be there so you mustn't get to a point where you just think that's something I can't do if it's something that you love to do as a child and you did it in your own time not just at school then there's a good chance that it's a natural knack for you Um, and then it becomes as an adult picking it up and beginning the rather long journey was for me anyway of figuring what kind of writer you're going to be um, and and getting good feedback, and which is often the hardest bit because if I hadn't found a good critique group when I started, I might not have made it as far. I'm, I'm surprised for a second. So, Alison, uh, you're a librarian? Yeah, that's right. You yes. didn't ask about the librarian. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. No, I was curious. I... What she, what she is or no, no yeah. questions there? I had some feelings about the librarian and I sort of thought perhaps I wasn't going to ask you about, yeah. about <laughs> her. Um, I guess also because in my head I'm still trying to work out what she was, you know. Question, yeah. yeah. And because at first, so my first reaction to her was, oh, my God, she's got the most appalling customer services Skills <laughs> not very good with people. So I was sort of that was my reaction to her at first. And but then I started to think, hey, I wonder whether she doesn't really need to have any customer services skills. Maybe there aren't. She doesn't have any customers. Maybe you know. So then I. I didn't mean to suggest you should. I was just thinking because she's <coughs> she's um yeah she was an interesting character to create because she's the guardian of a magical library. I imagine that she is, I actually allude to it, that she is, there's a moment where Hannah understands what she is, but then she can't believe it. And so she pushes it away. And she said, would you box out the light? She's so tall that she blocks out light. That's, you know, that's pretty tall. And when you're in a library and you're hovering over a person that you can block out the light. And, um, she said it reminded her of the Minotaur and the myth, and the myth of the, mm. the maze. And the, the library, if, if Hannah could get further into it, is a maze. And the books are essentially, because they're a collection of, if people are stories, 
It's a collection of people. It's a collection of souls. And so therefore, she, this is what she is. She's a version of the Minotaur, and that's where she came from. But I couldn't have this. I knew if Hannah got on the, the bus and discovered a giant Minotaur, she'd freak out. Yes. So how she, it's how the, this kind of version of a Minotaur type of character presents herself to people. But you're quite right. Um, she did, the Minotaur doesn't need to be nice to people. But I also so don't I, think the Minotaur knows who's getting on the bus all the time either. I think it's a surprise to the Minotaur too sometimes. I guess to answer your question, that's probably why I didn't have any questions about the librarian because I've been trying to get that character right in my head. Like, what is fear when you're reading it? Like, you know, I said to one person, "Who do you think the librarian is?" And they said, "God." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, you, you can oh, go with because there's knowing this aspect to the librarian, and that's why they don't get a, a name as well because, you know, I keep referring to her as a Minotaur character. She's not the Minotaur. But she's based on the Minotaur, so she's she's not. But she's operating between two worlds, and so therefore she mm. has to. I like having it at the end, you know, going supermarket shopping, because she's yes. not eat what what normal people eat, because she's not. But she has to sometimes go out into the world to get the things she needs. So she's moving between two worlds, and yeah, I could have told a very different story if I told it from her point of view. I think. I wonder if read, some readers will struggle working out what she she no, was I, from I did I they should I left it deliberately yes. oh god so you take sort of wanted that take. like when you're saying you weren't sure what she is I'm sort of saying well yeah it's a good question because you're not supposed to because Hannah's it's a first person story and if yeah. you oh. the answers in the story then it's not very interesting <laughs> you know and you want to keep that element of well how does this library work and what is it when you're reading it a little bit vague otherwise since you try and draw magic down into the real world and hammer it down with nails, it's a little bit less magical. She's got to be something that you're not quite sure you understand what she is. Because even my explanation of her to you is not um, I'm not telling you what she has for breakfast and what she does when she clocks off. Or mm. does she, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, this is, she is a librarian as well. At her core, she is a librarian. You know, those books, and she keeps them in very neat order. You know, it's <laughs> homage to librarians as well. It's it's definitely, it's about the power of books. And uh, she's the ultimate librarian. She knows which book you need. Oh, absolutely. And I really like how that she, she really knew that reading would help Hannah make sense of her world, of the world around her. And she, she knew that, and there was, that there's, a book for every person and a, per, a reader for every book. And yeah. so she had those attributes, yeah, which was yeah. great. Oh, cool. Oh, no, that really helps me kind of understand her more as well. Thank <laughs> you for that. Well, look, um, Leonie, thank you so much for being here with us today. This has been a fascinating talk. All the best with, with the book and can't wait to see what, what you produce next. Uh, I hope that doesn't put any pressure on you, of course. So. <laughs> It'll be something different. I don't like doing the same thing twice. It'll probably be junior fiction next, I think, again. Oh, well, look, we, we will look forward to that. And um, to our listeners, I'll put a link to both the physical book and the e-book in our, our show notes for listeners to to find it. But it's it's just an immensely satisfying read for our young and, and not-so-young readers. So thanks once again, Leonie. And to our listeners, happy reading. Haere rā. Kakite ano. This program was brought to you by Auckland Council Libraries. Nga pātaka kōrero o tāmaki makauru. Find us at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz.
Contact us by sending an email to reading at aucklandcouncil.govt.nz.